yeah, it's difficult to preach to a room where the only people in the room are the guys running the cameras. It's really hard to sing to a room where the only people in the room are people operating cameras. To not put on an air of worship, but to actually worship. As a few weeks ago, we, we recorded, we tried to record more than one week at a time just in case something would come up and somebody's schedule would get messed up and we wouldn't be able to record music for that Sunday. Well, a few weeks ago, we recorded three in, on one day. That's, that was, it was nine songs, wasn't it, Eric? Um, and so we, they rehearsed them all once and then sang them through in the recording. So they sang 18 songs. Were you there that day, Angela? Say, by song 18, it was pretty worshipful in that room. <laughs> it was. Uh, and the music team has done a phenomenal job these last three months planning that, getting that ready, worshiping in the back part of the fellowship hall. Sometimes when the AC wasn't on and it was really, really hot. Right, Stephanie? Can I get an amen? There we go. Um, or I don't know if you caught it, some days we would record when, you know, the Wee Center was here and the kids were playing on the playground. Anybody see the kids running around in the background? It's usually during the sermon, not the music. <laughs> uh, uh, that's just part of life. That's just part of life. So, you know, we're going to look at the Word today. Uh, God's been giving me something for, I look back at my notes uh, this new series we're starting today called Big Faith. Um, God started giving me this series. I looked at my notes this morning, March, or not March, May the 4th. Uh, and so I don't have any idea how long this series is going to go. Uh, just to give you an upfront, God's already given me seven. So we're going to go at least seven. All right? He may cut it short. I don't like to go for very long sermon series because I get bored around week three or four and want to change it up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the last one we just did was seven weeks, so God gave me seven for this week. Well, this one may go all summer, so y'all better buckle up for some big faith, because uh, God's been teaching me a lot in the last 30 days about faith, big faith. Um, we're going to look at a man today, Abraham, who was called out of comfort. He was called out of routine. He was called out of expectation in Genesis chapter 12, and that took great big faith. And Abraham lived a life of great big faith. Well, we say that. And it's easy to look at guys like, like Abraham and say, these are, the, these are the giants of the faith. I mean, Abraham left where he was, everything he knew. God said, go. Abraham just went, didn't know where he was going until he got there. He just went big faith. But Abraham's life, even though it was a life of faith, he didn't live his whole life by faith. He just had snippets of big faith. Anybody have their life that is really just snippets of big faith with, you know, stuff in the middle that's not so big, right? Can, remember, you're supposed to be talking back, guys. Come on. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Cortland's been itching to come back to church for, since the moment we stopped. <laughs> she, she, I think we went into Stillwells. It was the end of March. We'd only been out one week. And she said, when are we starting again? <laughs> so here we are. You got to talk to me today. So Abraham had big faith. He lived his life by faith, but... Not always, though he did have several key big faith moments. One of those is what we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, if you're using a Bible on the pew rack, which you can, that's on page number 16. I think you can find that one, page number 16. 
Uh, it's all on our website as well. And there's a tab on our website uh, that, with today's date on it. Just click on that. It's basically a digital bulletin. It's got all the information, everything there, uh, uh, there on our website. So Genesis chapter 22. Now, when we get to Genesis 22, you know, God's called Abraham out of where he was. They settled in this place. And then God gave Abraham a promise. God told Abraham, I am going to bless the entire world because of your descendants. You are going to have a descendant, and the whole world's going to be blessed because of the line of descendants that are going to come for you, come from you, which was significant because when Abraham received the promise, he was 75 years old. He should have already had a mess of kids. He should have been done having kids, but he didn't have any. He and his wife had zero children at age 75. His wife was 10 years younger than him. And uh, God gave him the promise then. And so even though he was past the age of expectation, he receives this promise from God. And the promise he received from God, if you really think about it, it was not something Abraham could do because he and his wife should not be able to have children at this age. But God said, you're going to have a child, and that child, uh, from the descendants of that child, will come one who will save the world. Now, we all know who that is. That's Jesus, eventually. But Abraham gets his word at 75. You're going to have a child. And Abraham waited, and he waited. Anybody ever hear a word from God, and it takes some time for the realization of that word to come about? Anybody ever get impatient waiting for God? Yes, I do. Well, let me give you a snippet. Some of you know where we're going with this. Abraham didn't, you know, we, I tend to get impatient with God if I'm waiting a few days, if I'm waiting a week, if I'm waiting a few months. I'm like, God, come on, man. God, where's this at? Abraham waited for over a decade and nothing happened. He got a word from God at 75 and nothing happened for 11 years. And Abraham's getting a little frustrated. So he takes matters into his own hands and has a kid with someone who's not his wife. That was not God's plan. God said, you're going to have a kid through your wife. But Abraham took matters into his own hand and everything messed up. So not only did he have to wait 11 years, he had to wait 14 more years beyond that until the promise was realized. So how would you like to receive a word? David and I were talking about this the other day. How would you like to receive a word from God today and not see the fulfillment of that word for 25 years? We're not that patient. I'm not that. Are you that patient? Are you? You're not? I'm not either. And what's even worse, Abraham didn't know on the front end it was going to be 25 years. It was open-ended. God said, here's a promise. Now wait. He had no, and now it would be easy, or not easy, but easier to wait 25 years if you knew there was an end point. Abraham had no idea 25 years was the end point. God just said, here's the promise. Now wait for me to do it. The thing about a promise, and this is what's going to be important in a minute. The thing about a promise from God is it's God's to fulfill. Abraham tried to do it on his own, and that messed stuff up. A promise from God is God's to fulfill. And so God ends up fulfilling that promise. Abraham's 100. His wife is 90. They have a child named Isaac. And Isaac begins to grow, and he gets older. And remember, God's given Abraham a promise. Through Isaac, his descendants will come one who will save the world, will be my son who will save the world, speaking of Jesus. This is a promise that was actually given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And so the fulfillment of that promise, God is telling Abraham, is going to come through Isaac's descendants. 
And so then God comes to Abraham. Having given, now I'm, I'm emphasizing this for a reason. He told Abraham, the promise to save the world is coming through Isaac. So this is what God says next. Genesis 22. Look at verse 1. Hey, Micah, will you mute everything but this one? It could be this one. If it's this one, we got to figure something else out. We good? All right. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, let's stop there. <laughs> stop, verse, we only got to verse 1. Let's how would you like to have God come to you and say the promise is going to come through your descendants and then the next part of your story says God's going to test you in that? So God comes to test Abraham, says, Abraham, he says, here I am, verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So again, God told Abraham, I'm, I'm trying to fit myself into Abraham's mindset, which is difficult. I mean, this was thousands of years ago, but in addition to that, there's a lot that's left out there in Genesis 22. All right? God comes to Abraham before this, and said the promise to save the world is going to be through Isaac. Genesis 22, I want you to go and kill Isaac. Now, wait a minute, God. The promise was going to be through Isaac. Now, you want me to go kill Isaac? This isn't, this isn't matching up, God. You said the promise is through him, and now you want me to kill him. This, does, this doesn't work. Now, we don't see that discussion in Abraham's mind. We don't see that discussion between Abraham and his wife. Uh, uh, who knows what, where that is? Maybe, now, we always picture, I don't know how you've ever heard this taught, but the way I've always heard it taught was that Abraham had great faith, and he goes in, to t and he probably doesn't tell Sarah, his wife, what's going on. He doesn't tell her that he's going out to sacrifice Isaac because she would have a cow, and she'd be all up in his head. Uh, but when I was running through, David and I were talking about this the other day, I had the, the thought, um, that I'd never thought of before. What if Abraham, though, was the one who was really struggling with the idea that he was going to have to go and sacrifice the promise, and it was Sarah who was actually the one, no, you're going to go out there, and you're going to do what God told you to do. Because remember, Sarah, if you know this story, she doubted God was going to use her to have a baby. When God came to Abraham, when he was 99 and Sarah was 89, and said, in a year's time, you're going to be holding a baby, Sarah laughed because she doubted God could do it. And then she saw in her body, God realized the promise. And so who are we to say that Sarah's the doubter here? We've always, again, maybe you've never thought this, but I've always been taught that she was most likely doubting what God would do because we're injecting our, how we would feel into her mindset. But what if she's the faithful one? When Abraham comes in and says, you're not going to believe what God just told me. And she says, oh, you better go and do it. God gave you the promise. So we know God's going to fulfill the promise through Isaac. So whatever he's telling you to do, it's not on you, Abraham, to fulfill the promise. It's on you to obey what God tells you. He's going to take care of the promise. You don't worry about that. God's faithful. He can do it. You go do what you need to do. So Abraham, now whatever the conversation, maybe they were both faithful. 
He steps up there in verse 3. He just immediately, so Abraham rose early. He got up to do God's instruction, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men, takes Isaac, cuts wood for the burnt offering, and he goes to where God told him to go. Now, if God came to you and told you this, again, try to put yourself there. Would you feel like the word you heard from God was God with 100% certainty? If you're honest. No, thank you. Somebody's talking. Thank you. Thank you, Lynette. Uh, no. Again, I, I, as I was working through this, I'm thinking, God told me, Isaac's the promise. And now I've had this thought that says, kill Isaac. Kill the promise. Well, obviously, that's not God. Would be my thought. If that's where the promise is coming from, and now I'm supposed to kill the promise, then obviously the voice that's coming to me is not God. That's some crazy, weird, that's Satan coming to my head trying to mess me up. That's, that's, that's whatever. I would not be 100% certain that that was God. But even if Abraham did not have certainty, he had faith. He had faith. And faith is trust. He trusted God with the certainty. Even if he may not have been certain himself, he trusted God with the certainty, that God was certain of what he was doing. And even though Abraham couldn't see the outcome, he didn't know what was going to ha happen when they got to Mount Moriah. He didn't know what was going to happen when they marched up there and he gets ready to sacrifice. What it was, was going to look like when he marched down, when he walked back into camp. He didn't know what any of that was going to look like. He had no idea what the outcome was. He knew who God was and that God could be trusted. You see, and that's where faith is. Faith is Trust. Actually, in, in this, I know this is the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in Greek, the word faith and trust are the exact same word. Faith is trust. If you have faith in God, that means you trust him with everything, with everything. Because Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anybody ever heard that verse before? few of you. Paul jumped up. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Let me say, phrase it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many decisions did you make this morning that didn't require faith? Just let it sink in a sec. I had that revelation the other day, and I was like, I don't think I've had faith at all today. That blew my mind. So if I, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I'm not living in faith in even just the mundane things, am I living in faith at all? Is my life pleasing to God because I'm not acting in faith? I'm acting in my response. I'm acting in my plan, not God's plan, not faith in what God has planned. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. So living by faith is pleasing to God. But let's see how God defines faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, keep that verse up there, Micah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's the assurance of things we're hoping for, being, being sure of it, being assured of it by God. Look at that word conviction, the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction literally means evidence. It means evidence. Faith is the evidence of things. That word means, you know, happenings or events. So, so the evidence of events that we haven't seen yet. 
Well, if we haven't seen it yet, how can we have evidence of it? If it hasn't happened yet, how can we have evidence of it? We have evidence of it because of faith. Faith is all the proof we need. That is the step. That is the leap of faith. I know it's been three months. Some of you have been thinking that I'm going to take that step of faith one Sunday, and I'm going to go flying right off of this deal. And it's going to happen, I promise you. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. I've gotten close. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of the events that we have not yet seen. So Abraham is going to step out. He steps out in faith. The evidence of what he's not seeing is his faith in God, his trust in God. Even though he doesn't know the outcome, even though he may not be certain that the voice he's hearing is God, he's just a little more than 50% sure. I'm more sure that this is God, that it's not God, so I'm going to step in faith. And so he walks out there in faith. Takes Isaac, takes a couple of his guys with him, and they walk for days. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, this is significant for a whole bunch of reasons. Because again, remember, Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is God said the promise was through Isaac, and then God said kill Isaac. And he tells his servants, we're going to go up on the mountain, and he says, we are both going to come back. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the wood, or the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb, or the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham hasn't told Isaac yet what's going on. He hadn't told him yet. Apparently sacrifice was already a part of, of their lifestyle, even though the Old Testament law hadn't come yet. Sacrifice to God was a common practice. Isaac knew about it. Where's the lamb? Uh, Father, where's the lamb we're going to sacrifice? If there is no lamb, how can we have a sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. Again, Abraham didn't know God was going to provide something like that. All he knew in the moment was God provided him Isaac. And God said, sacrifice Isaac. Look at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, this is also significant. Abraham is well over 100 years old. Isaac is his child. I am not near 100 years old. And my children can get out of my reach very quickly, <laughs> fairly easily. And so Isaac, at some point, would have to be willing and a part of what Abraham's doing. Otherwise, there's no way Abraham's going to put him on that wood. So it's, uh, at some level, Isaac allows Abraham to tie him up and set him on the wood. So he sets him there. He's on the wood. He's bound. Uh, verse, let's see, 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, 
from me. Now, for the longest time, I've always wondered, why did God do this? Why? Why did God do, as, as it says there, why, why did God test him? Why did God need to test Abraham's faith? God had told Abraham, the promise is going to come. Trust me. Have faith in me. The promise is going to come through your son, Isaac. He receives Isaac. Isaac is growing. Isaac is, is developing. Abraham has demonstrated great faith at certain points in his life. But something must have happened from the moment he left um, where he lived to, to arrive here in Canaan. Then he had the lapse. He received the word from God, then had a lapse of faith 11 years later, and then 14 years after that, he receives Isaac. He's having great faith, experiencing great faith. But somewhere between that moment of big faith and this moment, something has happened to Abraham's faith that he needs God to build him up on. Something has happened, and Abraham's faith not, is not where it was. Maybe, quite possibly, it doesn't say, this is just guesswork, maybe Abraham was demonstrating in his life more of a love for his son that was amazing at 100 years old than he was for God. Maybe he was having more of a love for his son than he was for God. Maybe he was putting his, his feeling for his son, his faith in his son, more than his faith in God. And God said, we need to change up your heart and get your heart back where it needs to go. We don't know. So Abraham is there on the mountain. He's going to sacrifice his son. God intervenes and says, don't touch him. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, it's also interesting to note, Remember what Isaac said. He said, Father, where's the lamb? It was common practice to sacrifice a lamb. So the expectation was we're going to sacrifice a lamb, that even when God stopped him from sacrificing Isaac, they were still going to sacrifice. The altar was there. Everything was prepared. They were going to have a sacrifice. But when he looked up, what God provided the sacrifice was not what they would have expected. How often in your life, I know in my life this happens, I have an expectation of God to do one thing, and when he does something else, I dismiss it as not God because it doesn't meet my expectation, because it's not how God did it last time, because it doesn't look like what we should expect God to do. C.S. Lewis said God never does the same thing the same way twice because he's a creative God. I mean, just compare a giraffe to a rhinoceros. He's a creative God. He does all kinds of things creatively. So he provides a ram there. And so Abraham names the place. This place shall forever be called. The Lord shall provide. And you know what Mount Moriah is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's where he was at. He was on the plateau there, the, the rise. He was on Mount, he was on Mount Zion. He was on Jerusalem. That's where he was. Jerusalem wasn't there as it is today. There was some stuff there, but not like this. And so he's there. He, he goes to sacrifice. Now he sacrifices the ram. Look at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven 
and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God reiterates the promise. God reiterates the prophecy here, reemphasizes it. He says, Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So Abraham did all of this. Stepped out in big faith, but he didn't know what was going to happen when he took the first step towards Mount Moriah. He had no idea what it was going to look like when he got there. He had expectations of what it might look like. He, he said, he had faith, we're going to come down this mountain together. But he has absolute confidence that God told him to kill the promise when he got to the top. But he didn't really know what was going to come from it. God had given him a promise, and then God also gave him this instruction that seemed to defy the promise. So how was he going to live? What could he possibly do? And it's in that moment that Abraham had to come to grips, and we have to come to grips too, that promise fulfillment is God's purview, is God's responsibility. Promise fulfillment is God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. I may have no idea how God's going to fulfill the promise. And honestly, I don't. Now, a lot of times I do this. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a lot more faith and you're a lot more holy and godly than I am. But when, when, when I hear from God, I tend to, you know, and the way God almost always reveals, he does it in Scripture, he does it in our lives today, he'll give you step 100 and you're on step one, and he doesn't give you the process in between because he wants you to trust him each and every step. If he gave you each and every step, you wouldn't have to live a life relying on God. And what kind of life is that? He's not going to give you. I told you all this a few weeks ago. If you watch, if you haven't watched it online, I can see it on your face. Which one? Is, what did he say? He's not going to give you a life where you don't need him. And so he's going to give you the next step so you can get to the next step so you can eventually get to the promise. And what will happen in my mind is when I hear from God, I try to fill in all the blanks myself, you know. Like a seven-year-old, when you would get, you know, when you come in church as a seven-year-old and you, back when we had paper bulletins and we wouldn't, weren't passing all these corona germs, you would go ahead and try to guess what all the blanks were on the sermon. Maybe some of you were like, well, you know. I'm 57 and I do that. But you try to fill in all the blanks there on the, on the deal. And that's what we tend to do in our lives. When God gives us something way out there, we try to fill in all the blanks and plan how to get there. So we, but we end up planning God out of the equation. And when we plan God out of the equation, when he promised we were going to get here and we start following our journey, we start taking steps this way and we completely miss the promise God had. That's what Abraham did when he was 75, or I guess when he was 86, 11 years after the promise he ventured way off from where God wanted him to go, and God had to slap him around to get him back over here so he could get back to where he needed to be. And who knows? Maybe the promise wasn't going to take 25 years. Maybe it was going to take 12, and Abraham messed up on year 11 and it had to take a little bit longer to get him back where he needed to go. We don't know. I tend to think that's a lot of what happens to me. When I, get venture, when I venture off away from where God wants me to go, it's going to take a little bit to get back to where I needed to go because getting way over here added a whole lot of time to my ETA on my Google Maps, and i got to get back to where God wants me to go. So Abraham left the promised fulfillment up to God. 
And all that he could control was his personal obedience and what God instructed him to do. He couldn't see the rest of the equation. He could only see his little piece. He was going to fulfill his little piece and let God take care of the rest. And so he had to decide the question of whether he would trust God or not. Even when he didn't understand everything. Even when he didn't understand how everything was going to play out. He had to trust God. Does anybody in here ever struggle with wanting to understand everything and how it's going to play out? Yeah? You ever feel like you need to control it and you want to, you, want to, you know, put everything in your little box and put everything around, you know, your little, inside your, your, the length of your arm so you can control everything and keep everything? Because if, if, if you were able to control everything, then everything would be perfect because you're a genius. I saw some of you right there just tap the person you're sitting next to. You're going to be in trouble later. You ever feel like that? But when we do that, we don't allow God to control everything. What we got to do is open up and let God have control of it. Because when we try to control everything, again, I don't know about you, I'm not all powerful. And I'm not all knowing. So when I try to control things that require all power and all knowledge, I'm going to mess it up. All that I, in my strength and in my wisdom, can do is take one step. God can handle all of that. I'm not there yet. Step two to step three, maybe five years, all I can do is just keep doing what God told me to do now and wait until he gives me the next step. But if I get impatient and try to jump steps, you know, four through seven, I'm not going to be where God wants me to be. I'm going to be missing all of the spiritual development I needed to get where he wanted me to get, to be where I needed to be. And so this is trust issue. Do I trust God more than I trust my own reasoning? Even if God doesn't give me the next step for longer than I thought he should. Do I trust him? Abraham decided in that moment he was going to trust. And we know that because he obeyed. He obeyed even though he knew, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. And because he obeyed, God knew in Abraham he had someone he could trust. He said that there in the passage. Uh, He said, uh, because you have done this, verse 16, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring. Uh, Your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring shall, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham trusted God and God then saw that he could trust Abraham. Back up in verse 12. I know, for now I know that you fear God. For now I know that you have faith in God. Now there have been many times in my life when I, I had, I've had to decide to trust God, even when I wasn't totally sure of what the outcome was going to look like. Or honestly, transparently, because it's just us in the room, it's just us, you know, we don't have 500 people in the room, it's just us. Even when there's been times I wasn't 100% sure it was God, I had to make a decision. Am I going to trust that I believe this is God saying this? Do I have faith enough to take that step? Even though I may be, you know, 62% sure I'm not 100%. There's still 38% that I could be off here, right? Math teachers, 62 out of 100, 38 left. Okay, good. Thank you. It's been, I haven't had math since 1999, so I'm just making sure. All right. 
So I wasn't totally sure, but I had to trust God there. And the word that God spoke to me many times may not have fit into my plan. It may have honestly interrupted what I thought God had. You know, there's been times that God spoke and God said, do this. But I said, but God, you already told me to do that. And if I do this, it's going to mess up that other thing. But even though that other thing I thought was important isn't really important, it was just a journey to get to the next step. It was just part of the process to get to the next step. God oftentimes interrupted my plan, interrupted what I thought the plan should be. Let me get a little more transparent with you. There's been times that God gave me a word about something, and I I tried to determine the way to get to that thing because God was taking longer than I thought he should to get there. And so what what I would do then is as I, you know, if I'm on step one and God says we're getting to step 100, is I would, God would lead me step two, step three, but about the time we get to step four, I start taking my own steps, and I would put God's stamp on them. Well, this is what God wanted. I feel like it. I feel like this is what God wants, but in reality, it's what I want. It's my plan. And so I would put God's stamp of approval on my plan when it's not really God, because I would stop listening to him, because I'd want to get there faster. Because I would want God to bless what I had planned instead of doing, in my life, obeying what he had planned. Am I the only one who does that? Thank you, Sheila. Me and Sheila, we're together on this. Stepping out in this way is, is difficult and not always what God would have for us. But in trusting my own plan, that doesn't take any spiritual faith. And what we saw back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 was, without faith it's impossible to please God. So if I'm trusting my plan and following my plan, I'm not pleasing God. I'm living a life way outside of God's plan because I'm trusting me and not him. I'm trusting my own knowledge and my own strength to be the all power and all knowledge that God has. But it's not anywhere near it. It's not anywhere near what needs to be there. I would have to, I have to trust God throughout all of the steps of obedience, even when I don't know the outcome, even when I'm not 100% sure that's where God's leading. Now, in hindsight, there have been many times I can see Okay, well, I know now what God said five years ago. I'm 100% sure that's where God said to go. But in the moment, it's impossible to be 100% sure. I'm going to show you why in just a minute. But I, I can believe in the moment. I can believe when I'm there and God says, we're going here, take the next step. I say, well, it may be what this is God speaking. I'm, you know, I may not be 100% sure. I'm only 62% sure. Maybe this is God's voice. Maybe this is God speaking. Like Abraham, God telling Abraham, Isaac is the promise. The promise is coming through Isaac. Now kill it. Kill the promise. Abraham had to believe in the moment, maybe this is God. Maybe this is what God wants. And that's what it is. Faith is is the footing in the maybes of life. Faith is the footing. Faith is the ground when we can't see there. Faith is the footing in the maybes. Maybe this is God, and I'm going to take a step. I believe that this is God. I have faith this is God. I'm 62% sure that this is God, and so I'm going to take a step. And in stepping in faith, then, as God did with Abraham, he knows that he has somebody in me he can trust when I step in faith, believing that that was God. Even when it's difficult. Even when people around us are telling us we're wrong and that's not what God said. I th- let me give you an illustration. 
a personal story. There was a time I believed God was telling me something about a particular, a specific issue. I wasn't 100% sure. I was like, maybe not even 62. I was like, 57%. This is what God wanted. 57%. Maybe, maybe this is God. Well, this guy walks in my office one day, mad about this one thing. I mean, like, biting your teeth, gripping your fist mad. And he comes in there, and he's asking me, he's, he's calmly asking me about the issue, but I can see he's gritting his teeth in between what he's talking, and he's gripping his fist. Like, okay, um, I don't have anything in my office I can defend myself with here. And he's telling me this. He's expressing his, his frustration at me. And I felt in my spirit. You know, I already knew. I'm fairly confident that's what God wanted to do, 57%, sure, maybe. And, and God, I felt in my spirit God say, all right, just tell him what you feel I've laid on your heart. So I did. In absolute honesty, I said, I feel like this is where God wants me to go, and this is what God's saying, and he's doing this, and he shared this, and this is the journey I've been to get to this point. And in frustration, he looked at me, and he goes, you're wrong. And he walked off. And on hindsight, now this is years and years later, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt God told me that in that situation. But in the moment, it would have been so easy to keep this guy from, you know, wanting to punch me, to just say what he wanted and say, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. Let's just stop this and go do what you want to do because to, keep, to stop you from being mad at me and yelling at me in my office. Let's just stop and we'll do it. That would have been so easy, especially at 57% sure. Right? How many of us would want to, I, I'm telling you, I wanted to in the moment, would want to make somebody happy over something we were just 57% sure was the right decision? Thank you, Cortland. I'm getting one person on each one of these, all right? Uh, it would be so easy just to give in and just say, okay, fine. But I'm so glad in the moment I didn't. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you in my heart how much I just wanted to just let it just, okay, fine, just go, run with it. I'll put you in charge of it, and you could take it. I, I'm, you know, I just don't want to mess with it anymore. It's not worth it. But God had bigger plans. God had bigger plans. Because even though that was a maybe, the faith in the moment was the footing that I needed to step into what God had next. And God would not have given me the next word if I had not been faithful in the moment. That would have been me as Abraham way over here, way outside of where God wanted me to be. He would have had to have this big redirection to get me back over where he wanted me to be. And I would have been 14 years missing just as Abraham was what God had. There was another time when Katie and I received the call to come to DeQueen. We were fairly confident that's what God wanted. Were we 100% sure? No. But we were pretty sure. I mean, there's a whole process of how my resume even got to the team, right? I mean, you were on the team. You were on the team. I mean, it was y'all called a guy who called a guy who called a guy. And then somehow my resume got here after y'all had already getting ready to call a guy to come be the preacher. And he called you and said, no, I'm not coming. That was like in October. Adam Lights called me in February. So in all of that process, God led to here. And then when the thing that solidified it in my mind, again, not being 100%, but fairly confident, was we got fairly far along in the journey. Some of y'all have heard this, story, the, the, this process mentioned many times of God's faithfulness. And uh, I talked to the, the team who was going to bring me to be the pastor. I talked to him many, many times. 
And uh, it got to, I think, the first week of May this, this one year. And they said, okay, we're, we've talked to you. We're ready. We just need to come and hear you preach live. We've seen you on video. That's great, whatever. We want to come and hear you. At the time, I was a youth minister, and I said, guys, you know, I don't get to preach that often. So whenever the pastor says, hey, I'm not preaching this week, I said, it may be a couple days before. He's called me on Saturday before, say, you're preaching tomorrow. So I don't know. They said, okay, just let us know. Well, just, I mean, it wasn't, I don't even remember. I mean, it was just a few days later or something like that. uh, A family member, the pastor had died, and he was going to have to do that funeral on a Saturday and wasn't going to be able to preach. So he calls me on a Monday and says, hey, I need you to preach Sunday. I immediately called it. Adam, and I said, hey, I am preaching Sunday. You want to come hear me preach? This is your one opportunity. <laughs> you better get here. And so they came. I remember they spread throughout the room so nobody would know who they were. Uh, but we, we had this old guy on staff. I mean, he'd been on staff for like 45 years. Um, and he was like 90. Um, and uh, he immediately spotted those guys. He knew exactly who they were. And he walked up to him. I know why you're here. Um, and God had led me to preach on this specific passage that was the exact passage, a member of the team coming to look at me, that God had given him that would be their theme, would be their, their faith passage. The guy they, that, that, were, that they looked at before they brought me here had preached on the passage right before this and stopped at the verse right before the verse God had given him. And I preached with that verse being the key verse. And so I hear this. They're telling me this at lunch after the, after the service. And to me, hearing this, and Katie hearing this too, so I'm fairly certain that's God. I mean, how, how in the world is God going to give them a verse and God give me a verse and it lines up and it works together? And how is this going to, this has to be God. I get to thinking about it. We're like, okay, well, you know, I'm pretty sure it's God. Pretty sure it's God. I've never lived in Arkansas before. I've only ever lived in Texas I, and only in big cities. We lived in Dallas. We lived in Houston. Lived in Dallas again. We're going to the Queen. That's about the size of Houston, right? You know, we're going to go there, and it's going to be off thing, you know. Everything in, everything in, da- in Houston takes an hour to get to. It's the same in the Queen. So we're, it's going to be the same. And if you're watching online, you can get to everything in three minutes in the Queen. Just heads up. Uh, <laughs> which is a lot better. Um, we're fairly certain it was God. And then we come. Two of my kids are born here. Two of my kids get saved here. There's no doubt now, in hindsight, this is God's plan. But on the front end, I can't be 100% sure. And you want to know why? Scripture tells us why. Scripture says we can never be 100% sure. It's impossible. And anybody who tells you I'm 100% sure is either, you know, naive or lying. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's writing this. He says, For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's eternity, that's when the world is gone, that's when we step into heaven. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. It's in Scripture. We only know in part right now. We can't know 100% right now. We can't. We can't. Because we can't see God physically now. But when we step into perfection, when we step into heaven, we'll be able to see in perfection. Not in perfection, in space, perfection. Be able to see it all in perfection. Right now we only see part of it. We can only know in part because we can only ingest in part. But then we will be able to see everything. 
So we can't see 100% right now. We can't know 100% right now. We have to take the amount we know now and step in faith with what we know now. Even if the outcome doesn't make sense, even if we have no idea what's coming, even if the, the things that happen in my life seem to mess up what God told me was going to happen or seem to mess up the plan I have for my life or if the plan I have for my life and the plan I have for my kids doesn't line up because my kids do something and they go off and they're in jail and I don't know what's going to happen now and that's not the plan that I had planned. But God's still got a plan. He's not done. I have to decide, am I going to be faithful now even though I can't see what's coming? Am I going to be faithful now? Am I going to step in obedience now? Am I going to walk by faith, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, walk by faith and not by sight? Walk by faith and not by sight. And so in that moment, even if my leap of faith doesn't turn out like I thought it would, doesn't turn out like I want, God will know he has someone he can trust. Even if my leap of faith doesn't turn out like I thought, God will know he has someone in me he can trust. Just like in Abraham, he said, I now know that you fear God. I now know you have faith. So when I take that step of faith, when I take that leap of faith, and what God is giving me, maybe God has given you something, maybe God gave you something 50 years ago that you didn't step out on faith in, and you've been thinking about that thing every day since, and you don't know what, what life would have been like if you would have done that, but you were too scared then. You thought, that's too big. That's too big of a leap. God asked me to go be a missionary 50 years ago, and here I am now, and I'm retired, and I don't know what God wants me to do. Maybe God still has that plan for you. You say, oh, hold up, man, I'm retired now. I ain't going to go be no missionary nowhere. I'm going to do what I'm doing. Maybe God wants you to be a missionary here, or maybe God's plan for you is still to go be one. Remember, God didn't call Abraham until he's 75. God didn't start using Abraham in the promise till he was 100. Any of you guys 100 yet? You're not. I know. I know you. You're not. Some of us may feel like it, depending on the day, <laughs> but you're not. Some of you are getting closer than others, but you're not there yet. God still, if, if you're, you've heard me say this before, if you've been here any length of time, if you're still breathing, God still has something for you to do. You're not done. No matter how old you are, if you're seven and saved, God's got a plan for you. If you're 97 and saved and still breathing, God's got a plan for you. I've told you about that lady that I met up at the nursing home, and we talked and talked and talked, and her plan, being in the nursing home, was to minister to the nurses in the nursing home. She said, God's still got me here for something, so I'm going to tell them about Jesus. God still got you here for something. What is it? Your life may not look like what you thought it would. It may look different than what you thought it was going to look like. You may be a different expectation of what it was going to be. Don't think about what your expectations were. Think about where you are and what God has next for you. Think about that. Listen to God. Have faith in God. Pray. Read scripture. Take what God gives you and move. Take that leap of faith. Maybe there has been something you've been putting on the back burner that you didn't want to do because the step of faith was too big, too comfortable for you, or too out of your comfort zone. And you're not ready to go there. You're not ready to think about that. You've been hiding it, shoving it in the back closet of your mind because you don't want to go there mentally. 
emotionally. You don't want to have to have the conversation with your spouse, with your kids. That God's got this thing for you, and you, you don't want to mention it because if you mention it and it doesn't happen, it's like you, you failed God or that God failed you. You don't want to step out in that big faith. And I'm not just talking about you. This is stuff I've been, you know, had to deal with as well. Is there something God's given you that you're, you're afraid of stepping out? That's when we need to embrace that 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith and not by sight. Because here's it. Here's the confession. Now, if you've got a piece of paper, write it down. If not, type it on your phone. Look up the notes on our website. Mail them to yourself. This is the point. I would rather live in a place of faith than experience any amount of life outside of God's abundance. I would rather live in a place of faith then live any amount of my life outside of God's abundance. Not my abundance. My abundance ends up in a place way outside of where God wants me to be. I'd rather live in a place of, of God's abundance. Even if that means, that doesn't mean money. Even if that means not what I expected in my career. Even if that means not what I expected in my family. I would rather live in a place of faith than anywhere else. Even if it's hard. Even if it's difficult. Even if, if, if I, I may feel like my life comes crumbling down around me. But if I'm living in a place of faith, I'm right where God wants me to be. Where did Peter walk on the water? In the storm. Did God stop the storm so Peter could walk on water? No. He had Peter walk on water in the storm. Storm's not going to stop for the miracle to take place. Part of the miracle is that it takes place in the storm. But do we have faith enough to participate in what God has. Big faith. Stepping in big faith. That's what this whole series is about. Stepping out on what God is giving you. So if you say, well, I don't have something. I don't have a back closet with something in. Be praying. What does God want you to step out in big faith for? I've already told you, this thing's going to go on at least seven weeks. So you got, some, you got there seven weeks to figure out where, where's God asking you to step? What's God asking you to do? Because God's not asking us to live a life of no faith. He's not even asking us to live a life of little faith. He told us little faith can move mountains. So imagine what big faith can do. He's saying, live a life of big faith. What will that look like? Walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by faith and please God, Hebrews chapter 11, if you please God as you walk by faith, how will things change? What is the big leap you're going to take? What is that big leap you're going to take? Micah, remember what, what, Slaughter used, what Slaughter said? He thought he was taking a step of big faith, but in hindsight, he was just stepping off a curb. Maybe that's what it is. It may feel like in the moment it's a huge step of big faith. But in hindsight, it wasn't even that big. Because you're following God. You're following where he wants him to go. You're following what God has for you, what he wants for you to do. Will you step in big faith? Maybe right now, I, I, this is a word for somebody in the room. God wants you to quit your job and do ministry for him full time. Say, that's not comfortable. I, I, that's insecure. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But that's what God wants. That's what God wants. And you've been, here's the thing. Whoever this is for, you've been fighting it. You've been fighting it, and you know it. You've been wrestling to keep that door shut in the back of your mind. You know it. That's what God has, but you don't want to go there because the job you got right now is certain. That's money in your hand. 
Taking that step of faith isn't. But you got to trust him. It's time to draw the line in the sand and say, this is my life. Am I going to follow God or not follow God? The life I'm going to live for future generations to observe, is it going to be one of faithfulness or one of faithlessness? Am I going to leave behind the generational curse that was passed on to me by my parents? Because you can see it in the world with the, with the racial unrest, the generational sin that was passed on because it was never dealt with and never given to God. That's why it still exists. If we would give it to God, we would find faithfulness in our life now. And the world will be different tomorrow. I heard somebody a few weeks ago said, I'm going to say this. It's going to be racist. They said it. I said, yes, that is. And that's not what God has. Faithfulness is different than the world. And we can't look like the world if we're going to be faithful. And so you have to ask yourself, am I going to walk in faith? Am I going to live in faith or not? To be big in faith, to have big faith, to, to admit, I would rather live in a place of faith than worldly security. I would rather live in a place of faith than be held up by what everybody thinks is somebody who has it all together. I would rather live in a place of faith if it means difficulty, if it means uncertainty, if it means the enemy starts bombarding me with anxiety and, and, and struggle and he brings up stuff that I haven't even thought about for decades. Would I rather live in a place of faith or not? Will I say what Joshua said at the end of his book as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will live in faith. Well, guys, this is our house. We're a family. Church of God is a family. Red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And here's the authority you all have. If you see anyone in your house not following God, not walking in faith, it's on you to bring them back in line. You don't have to drag them back, but to say, hey, I don't know if that's where God wants you to go. Remember, you told me God gave you a word about doing that thing, and you're walking away from the thing God told you to do. You say, well, usually that's small groups. Small groups helps me in this, but we haven't had small groups in three months because we can't get in the same room because then we all start breathing each other's air, and that's just gross. Well, here's it. If you've got two friends, you can have a small group. Anybody got two friends? Half of you. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, look at the other people in the room. There's your friend. I just got some of you friends. That's good. If you have two friends, you can have a small group. I'll tell you what, you can't, if you can't meet physically together, which we're advised not to, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I sp uh, talked to some guys in person, texted some guys the other day. We're going to have a small group through the Bible app. Did you know you can, the Bible app, you know what the Bible app is on your phone? It's like a thousand pieces of free curriculum in the reading plans. I mean, I've been doing some by Charles Stanley that have been lighting me up. I mean, all of the great Bible teachers of our day have stuff in the Bible app. I mean, you got Charles Stanley, you got uh, uh, Stephen Furtick, you got Chad Veach, you got Rich Wilkerson, you got um, Tony Evans, you got Priscilla Shire, you got Beth Moore, you got Louis Giglio. All the great Bible thinkers of today have reading plans and devotions and honestly, scriptural commentary 
for free. That church in Oklahoma puts this sucker out, and it costs them tens of millions of dollars to do this every year. But they do it as a ministry for free, for free. You know, that, that ministry, the Bible app in their church, their, uh, uh, um, I don't even know what you call it, their goal or their life message for their ministry, their vision for their ministry is to eliminate Bible illiteracy in the world. Man, that's a statement. And so they put this thing out. And so I, I, you can do these reading plans. You can do these devotions with each other. You click on one in the Bible app. I invited the guys this morning. Some of you guys are in the room and you haven't accepted yet. I'm calling you out right now. Uh, but when you do a plan, it gives you the option to do it by yourself or do it with friends. I clicked do it with friends. I selected four guys and we're going to do it together. And the thing is, in the Bible app, you can share prayer requests you can comment on it, and you can see when the other people haven't done their Bible reading. They haven't done their devotion. You can say, hey, man, I notice it's like 9 p.m. and you haven't hit it yet. We've all commented on it. That's it. You can comment on it too. God showed me this. And so us, it's going to be five guys talking about Scripture, talking about what God showed us that day, praying for each other and encouraging each other. Having a five-person small group in the Bible app in our pocket. You can't get in a room. You can still have a small group. You can still encourage yourself. You can still grow. You can still share the big vision God's given you that you can step out on faith. You can pray together and journey together towards that purpose. You can still do it together because we're better together. So have big faith. Walk in faith together. Do it together. So do you want to live in a place of faith? Do you want to live from a place of faith? It all starts with living in faith first. Believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all of your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. So that you can live after you die. And then you believe that and you gain heaven. You gain eternal life. You gain eternal life if you believe that Jesus is God's son and died and rose. And that's where faith starts. So will you believe Today, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, will you believe today? You can tell us you believe. Now, you can come down if you want. I'll be here. I'll have a mask on. Uh, but you can also go to our website. We have a, a card always on our website. It said, I made a decision or I need prayer. And those always, those come straight to my email. And so I can see that and I get back with you if you made a decision. I get back with you if you need prayer. And, and I pray for those, and, and we follow up. So you can click on that and make a decision. If you're watching online, you can just click the button right below me. Click it. I made a decision. And, and we'll get with you, and we'll pray with you, and we'll celebrate with you today. God has something great. And as we journey through this series of big faith, what is the big faith step God has for you that he has for you? We're going to continue to explore this next week, so don't miss it.